Well, good morning again uh, to Grace Hills Church. Uh, we're excited you're here, and what we do on Sunday mornings is uh, open up God's Word and see what God has for us. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there should be one in a chair in front of you, the side of you, behind you, and just pull that out, or just listen along as uh, we kind of follow the outline this morning as our children go to Children's Church, and they'll return a little bit later, and uh, I think give us that special gift for us. Last uh, Lord's Day, we were uh, looking at Ephesians chapter 2, and if you have that Bible in front of you, uh, it's about two-thirds of the way, three-fourths of the way into the, in that big book, uh, uh, whatever color Bible you have, whether it's black or brown or blue or green or whatever it might be. And if you're not really sure where Ephesians is, that's why the Bible has a table of contents in the first part of it. The Bible is divided in two halves, though it's not exactly halves by, by way of portions, but uh, the first... Uh, two-thirds of it is the Old Testament and the last third is the New Testament. But if you can find that little book of Ephesians, turn to the second chapter. As uh, we've been moving through this book, uh, last Lord's Day, particularly in this service, I got up here and I couldn't find my notes, so I was just shooting from the hip. And uh, so this morning I'm looking back at what I didn't cover and going to recover it this morning as well as look at new stuff. And, and you can already tell I'm speaking fast because there's a lot of things I want to say. So let's pray that I slow down. And you listen faster, and we'll look at what we have to say, all right? Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Uh, we, we're excited about uh, just the message that you give us uh, and to every, every person on this planet. Help us to uh, listen to you, uh, to respond to you, and apply uh, your truth to our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We had the children memorizing uh, a large section of scripture all through the week. And we also have a verse that we kind of uh, focused on for the summer. It's found in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And it's appropriate because as you think of vacation Bible school, you're normally thinking about children. And what's interesting, the Bible calls little people children, and he also, God, calls big people what? Children. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. So uh, if you consider yourself adult, an adult this morning, you're in the wrong place, all right? Because the Bible sees us all as learners, those who haven't yet arrived yet, so we're still in the maturation process. And so God wants us as children uh, to listen and to respond and to uh, trust and then obey. I entitled the message this morning, This is Fantastic. And that's kind of a title when you can't think of a good title, all right? Um, the, the, the word fantastic, I, I looked up that word and it means overwhelmingly great. And, and really that's, that's the truth of God's word. It, it's just, it's just unspeakable in terms of just how powerful and alive it is. And, and the message is good news uh, to those who respond to it. It's not such good news to those who don't respond to it, but it's just fantastic. It's just overwhelmingly great. And that's what we're going to see again this morning and look at some new stuff from uh, last Lord's Day. And each message is a message in itself, but it, there's a connection point as well. And, and last week we, we looked at what, what, what was then and what it's like now. And so if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, we're going to do a quick review and, and then uh, see what God has for us. It is just fantastic. Almost to the point you have to say, really? I mean, is this really what God is saying to us? And the answer to that is yes. 
And Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11, it talks about what it was like then, and that's B.C., before he encountered Christ. And all of us are on a spiritual journey. Uh, some of us are, are still uh, kind of looking in, trying to figure this out. Is this for me? Is this for somebody else? Is this for the religious crowd? I'm not a religious person. Is it something for everybody? And so this is B.C. This is, this is where we've all been. And as I said in the, in the past, one thing we have all in common is we all have a past. Is that true? Nod your head like you're still awake, right? We all have a past. The, the issue is, what is our present and future? But to, to really appreciate how fantastic our future can be, we have to appreciate our past. And this was true uh, not only, this is true not only now, but it was also true then when Paul wrote this book. And he wrote it to this group of people that had, had come to faith uh, in, in, a, in a city in which it was uh, not the norm to be a Christ follower. And also, even as they looked into their religious background, they weren't involved in God's plan, at least their, his specific plan initially, uh, which was to the Jewish people, which was to spread to everybody. But they weren't in on the inside. And so he picks it up then. And what was it like then? And hopefully we'll, that I will speak quickly on this part to get to the new stuff. He begins with this. Therefore, remember. And remembering is to look back in your past to see what lessons you need to have learned back then or recall to, to put today and tomorrow in perspective. Remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the uncircumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ. And I'm not going to debrief everything in that verse other than to make the obvious observation, which is there, were a, there was a time that you were outside of Christ. In the New King James Version, it says you were without Christ, which basically means you were on the outside looking in. And we talked a little bit is that they were outside what God was doing in history, what, what God had planned for them. They, they live in a world they thought everything just repeated itself. All, all, all history is a cycle. And those who understand there is a God who put this all together, that we have a past and we have a, a planned out future. And they weren't part of that because they were outside of God's plan, outside of God's purpose, because they didn't know about the promised one that was to come, which was Christ. So there was a time you were outside of whatever God was doing because you weren't in Christ. You were outside of Christ. And then it goes on in verse 12. It says that at a time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And that's a simple statement. You were excluded from God's people. God was doing a special thing in a group of people to attract others to say, that's, that's what I want. And God now does that through the church. But back then it was through the nation of Israel. And he said, you had a, a pass, a B.C. before Christ. And really, you weren't, you weren't on, in the in crowd. You were in the, the crowd that was on the outside trying to get in. You were excluded from God's people. And then he goes on and says, uh, in verse 12, uh, strangers from the covenants of promise. So when God made promises to people, you weren't part of it. When, when God said, this is what I have for you, this is a gift I have for you, they weren't going to be recipients of that. It's like you know, maybe uh, going to someone's house at Christmas because you're far away from your family, and maybe they didn't know you were arriving, and everyone else was exchanging gifts, and when it came to you, there was, there was nothing in front of you because... You weren't in the, the gift-receiving part of that relationship. And he said, you did not have the promises of God. And then he goes on and says, but now in Christ, 
uh, you once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And, and right before that, he had the phrase, having no hope and without God in the world. So basically, he then said, not only did you have no share of God's promises, you had a false hope, you had no hope, and then you were without God. Now, that's about as bleak as you can describe what it is like to be B.C. You are outside of Christ. You are excluded from God's people. You have no share in God's promises. Then you had false hope, and then you were without God. Now, in case this morning you're on your part of the spiritual journey where you're thinking, man, that's kind of like, I mean, I'm coming here, and all you're doing is talking down to me. Well, really, this is where we were all at. None of us get a free ticket into this. And so this was our condition uh, before we encounter the one that God had promised to sin. That's our past. But our future doesn't have to stay in the past. <laughs> we can have that changed miraculously by God. And really what we look at the past is now is everything in contrast to that. Verse, 14, verse 13, but now in Christ. So we were outside of Christ. Now that we, now we can be in Christ. Sometimes people uh, wonder what, what it means to be a Christian. In, in some traditions, if you ask them the question, are you a Christian? They'll say, well, well yes, I'm a Christian. And you'll say, well, uh, t- well, tell me about that. And they'll say, well, I got baptized on a certain day. And so they will, they will describe being a Christian and identify it specifically with being baptized. Now, should a follower of Christ identify himself in a public or herself in a public way? Yes, but being baptized doesn't make you a Christian. You know, just like when I'm on a board in the ocean and it looks like I'm a surfer, doesn't mean I'm a what? I'm a surfer, right? Being in the water doesn't make you an Olympic champion. And just being put in the water of baptism doesn't necessarily make you a Christ follower. And so we need to identify. Some people in their traditions, they'll say, well, uh, are, are you a Christian? They'll say, well, yes. I said, well, tell me your story. He said, well, I become a Christian every time I take communion. I, I receive Christ. And, and they tie it to a, a physical object lesson that God calls us to remember what Christ has done. Well, you know, putting a wafer or a, a piece of unleavened bread and taking grape juice or wine or whatever it might be to remember. Remind yourself that there was a man 2,000 years ago that died on a cross and doesn't, doesn't make you a, a Christ follower. So in many ways, if you want to understand what, what a Christian is, it's a person who is in Christ. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things, but let's just take it into our own world. You can, you can describe a person in a lot of different ways by just what they're into. Isn't that true? I mean, if, if, if you're into music, I mean, it becomes pretty obvious, doesn't it? I mean, you're listening to tunes all the time. I mean, your iPod is filled with just all kinds of, of tunes and different genres and things like that. Why? Because you're into music. You know, if, if you're into sports, you, you know what channel your TV just automatically goes to. It's ESPN, all right? I mean, it just happens automatically because you're into sports. Well, what's a Christian? Uh, this is a person who's in to Christ. And we're not playing a comparison game to how other people, but uh, could you describe yourself as a person who's in to Christ? Now, the way that happens is that Christ becomes into what? You. 
But he says, you're in the Christ. And he goes on and he kind of describes this. He says, uh, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's an act that God that does and brings you into that relationship. But let's go on. In verse 14, he begins to use kind of lawyer language to describe what happens, uh, you know, when we go from then to now in terms of our relationship with God. In verse 14, he says, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create for himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And if you're not familiar with the Bible that much, or I haven't looked at this text recently, say, well, that's why I don't read the Bible, because it doesn't make any sense. Well, if, if you read this slowly, you, you'll get the gist of what he's saying here. He said, I, I want you to understand, again, it's kind of a contrast to where we were. Before we were excluded from God's people, the opposite of that would be now we are included. You are a sharp group up there. I knew you could figure that out. Plus, you could just look up there and see that. Okay, no, it wasn't up there. All right. So you were excluded. Now you're included. Now, now some people say, well, I, I'm not even sure I want to be included, God's people, but but, but it's always much better to, to feel like you belong rather than you don't belong, particularly if this is the people you really want to be with and identify with. But he's saying, you know, at, at first, this was not an easy thing to, to get into. And maybe you can remember back in various parts of your life where you didn't feel like you were, you know, with the crowd, the popular crowd or the whatever crowd you wanted to connect with and and. This was true particularly spiritually because God was trying to cause people to almost have a holy jealousy. I, I want what they have. And God made the people in Israel uh, in the Old Testament such a peculiar people in such a way that they saw the blessing in the hand of God that, that when they were trusting God, the word spread. This is, this is a special people. We want to find out what... What makes them tick? What makes them different? And then they would conclude it wasn't because they were any smarter, more talented or gifted, but they knew the true God. And then they wanted to find out more about the true God. But for that to happen, they were going to have to make a change. During vacation Bible school, uh, Beth and Jessica did a great job teaching it. And really that kind of speaks here what that needed to happen when they were telling the stories to the children. And now where I'm telling the story to the adult children is that if we were excluded and now we need to be included, there needs to be a change. And that change needs, means something has to be different. And what was before time, there was this wall, a wall between what God was doing with his people and the wall, which would be the non-Jews with the Gentiles that, that God wanted them to take a part of. And for them to go through that wall, they had to be converted to Judaism. They, they, had, to, they had to convert to, to believe and trust in all the oranges of God, all the laws of God. And what they had to do, and this is what Jessica told the children, if you want to come to know God, what you have to do is turn your back to how you used to live. And basically how we used to live is to simply do our own thing. Our life was governed on what do I want to do? What's best for me? What would, what would bring me uh, um, uh, what I want to pursue in life? 
you know, I don't care what my parents say. I don't care what my teachers say. If I want to tell a lie, I think that would bring me benefit that I'll tell a lie or whatever it might be. And you have to turn it back to that. I don't want to live my way. I want to live God's way. But there was this wall between God's people and the people who are not God's people. And God was always planning to knock that wall down. And there was a foreshadowing of all what he was doing before that wall was to be broken down. And that was all the animal sacrifices that were the pictures that you can't make a relationship with God or reach God through your own efforts. The animal sacrifices are to show to you and to anyone else that you cannot pay for your own sins. There has to be a sacrifice for that sin. But when Jesus came, what he did is he broke down that wall. And we're no, under, no longer under the law, the ceremonial law of all the, the ritual things that God gave the people of Israel to point to the promised one who was to come. And what's interesting, he says, and, and I want to make you a one new man from two men. Can I say this, you know, plainly, you know, not only in a civil way, but even more so in a spiritual way? We, uh, we in our country now are, are kind of dividing our country as much as any time in the history of our country. We identify people as white America, black America, Hispanic America, Asian America, and what other you know, uh, adjective you want to describe an American. But if we were to take a step back, when a person becomes a citizen of this country, what kind of person do they become? They become an An American. There, there, is, there is no distinction. You, you might have a history. You might have a, a cultural background. But you are simply an American. Now, if that ought to be true in a nation that wants to be uh, a nation built on unity and oneness, even more so does God want us to, to understand spiritually. There, there really is no distinction among Christians. You're not a Jewish Christian or a Gentile Christian. You are simply a Christian. And what he, it's interesting, the, the Greek language really has some distinctions. They're, they have two different words for new. One is from chronos, from what we get chronology. It's kind of a calendar uh, a kind of description of what happens. You know, tomorrow is going to be a new day because it's a new day on a calendar. But have we ever had Mondays before? Yeah, we've had Mondays before. And it's just, they, 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 they come every week. Have you noticed that? Every, every seven days, a Monday happens. Well, this is not the word he used there for, for new, chronos. He uses the word uh, kainos, which means it, it's, it's a whole new dimension. It's like God adding an eighth day. And when we become a child of God, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new, what, creature, a creation. Old things are past, and behold, new things have come. Brand new. It's, it's not the new, improved toothpaste, you know. It's still crest. We are a new man, a new woman in Christ, a new creature. Because God takes people who are excluded from him and now includes him in the family of God. So what is it like now? Now we are in Christ. Now we're including God's people. And now we have a full share of God's promises. In verse uh, 16 in chapter 2, it, it goes on with, with these words. 
He says, and that he might reconcile them both to God, to one body, through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. And again, that, that's just colorful language to say this. You need to understand, when we were in our past, our relationship with God could be described as we are an enemy of God. Now, we might not have been one of those enemies of God that were always shaking our fists at God and cursing him, but our desire was not to please God. We were at odds with God. We were in opposition to him. And God was doing things throughout the history of his created world to draw us back to himself after we rebelled against him. And he gave even Abraham a promise that he would be the father of many nations and he would, through him, all nations would be blessed. But there is a process by which people get in on that promise. And before we had no share of God's promises, but once we become a child of God, we have a full share in God's promises. In the Old Testament, when the Jewish people, the high priest would present the animal sacrifices to God, if you weren't part of God's people, what they did meant absolutely nothing to you. And in many ways also, when we think about Christ's death on the cross, and many of you have seen the, the passion, that dramatic film of, of Jesus of Nazareth just going through torturous pain uh, before he was put on the cross and then being crucified to death. And, and we look all that he endured for, for us. But, but until you embrace him by faith, all that he did for you means absolutely nothing. But once we become part of God's people, then we share in all of God's promise. What was it back then? We were outside of Christ. We were excluded from God's people. We had no share of God's promises. What is it like now? We are in Christ. We're included in God's people, and we have a full share. And then verse 17, we have full hope. Look at verse 17. He says, And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who are near. Now, basically, he's just saying, you are so distant from God. Really had no idea What's going to happen next? But once you become a child of God, then, then you know that your future is settled. That you, you don't spend idle time worshiping a God of this world. But you worship the true God. And the word hope simply means a confident expectation of what's going to happen next. And because God has presented you and brought you near, you, you not only don't have a false hope, you have a true hope. But really what I want to speak about this morning is, is found in verse 18 and just the verses following in terms of, again, what happens. Because above all else, uh, we don't want to be without God. We want to be with God. In verse 18, he says, For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, the word access, again, is a word we don't think about a whole lot. I mean, basically, we go through doors, and we had all kinds of things as we put up the, the vacation Bible school castles, and, and the, uh, we talked about moats in front of the castles and all kinds of things like that. Um, but access is, is an entry point. And, and before we walk through that entry point, we don't know God. We might know about him, but we're without him. And, and we don't have the ability to, to relate and connect and even see him. I remember one time when a, 
I was a youth pastor in, in Torrance, and that's in the olden days when, when um, well, we won't go into that. But anyway, in the olden days, is, and I thought, you know, I'm gonna, my, my dad was working down at uh, uh, Los Angeles on Flower Street on one of these high rises, and I actually was giving blood kind of locally in that area. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to go see my dad. And, you know, not thinking, you know, I was dressed like a typical youth pastor, like, like Brandon, you know, okay, anyway, so, so anyway, I, you know, I, I went there and, you know, my, you know, dad went with, with a suit every day to work and, and he at that point had, had gone from being a, a, a meter reader over his career with a gas company and he was now vice president of, of um, human resources and, and so I just plopped in, find out what, uh, what floor he's on, I know he was on the 20th floor or whatever it was, went up there and came in and said, I want to see, uh, I want to see Art Johnson and they go, well, who you are? Well, I'm Mike. And they go, okay, do you have an appointment? No. What makes you think you're going to get in to see our vice president? I said, well, my last name is Johnson. And it made all the difference in the world. And so this guy with shorts on and, and sandals and torn T-shirt, you know, walked into this plush area to see my earthly father. Why? Because I had access an access based on relationship. And, and see, that's what it's all about, is to recognize we all have a past, but what is our future? For all of us, we start off life without God. But we can be living life with God if we have access based on the blood of Christ who died for us, to, to deal with that which separates us from him, which is our own sin. Those things that break the heart of God, destroy our lives, and destroy other people's lives. And he offers that up. And, and we're never worthy. I, I didn't, wasn't dressed appropriately. should have thought a little bit more than I did. Should have made an appointment. All those kind of things. But I had access because I was his son. Well, you know, this is so fantastic. And as Paul is, you know, just, you know, if, if I normally speak fast, he's writing fast or he's, or he's speaking to his secretary just to get, I want you to get all this down. I want them to realize just how overwhelmingly great, fantastic this is. So in the verses, as we divide his letter from chapters two to chapter three, he closes with three or four more verses again to emphasize, well, if you're with God, what difference does that make? What kind of status do you have if you're with God? In verse 19, he says this. Now, therefore, based on all that I just said, you had a past. You can have a future with God because of all this. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. But fellow citizens with the saints. So, so now he's speaking to the eyes. Okay, I want to understand what 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 the significance of this is. We, and actually he's now speaking not so much individually, but corporately. But corporately involves each one individually. He says we collectively are, are, are citizens together. We are fellow citizens. We, we are now fully a part of what God is doing. You know, there were times even God's chosen people were, were located in places that, 
that they didn't feel like they were a part of their surroundings. We finished a series in the book of Genesis, and in the book of Genesis, you know, God was doing amazing things, and at the end, God was going to teach his people uh, some pretty major lessons, and so he took him out of the promised land and sent him to a place called Egypt. And when they first got to Egypt, man, they were living high on the hog. Well, they didn't use, eat a hog, but anyway, they were living high, okay? They were, they were doing really, really well, okay? I, that was pretty bad. Okay, anyway, so they were, uh, they were doing extremely well. I mean, uh, their, one of their own was the second in command. He was his, the only one more powerful in that land was Pharaoh, and, and, and Joseph was, was calling all the shots. But in Exodus, as it begins, that part of God's story, which they were a part of, it says, that, and then there arose a Pharaoh, a king in Egypt, that knew not Joseph. And from being... The chosen people in a, in a privileged land, they became the people who were, who were now enslaved. And they were Israel, but they were Israel in Egypt. And he's saying to these who, who were far from God, excluded from God's people, the Gentiles who now became followers of, of the true God, he said, now you are, you are fellow citizens. There is no difference between my chosen people the Jewish race, and, and you, you, you are part of what I'm doing. You're, you're fully a part of that. And, and as I was thinking about that, what, what is that? What is that? That's, a, that's a high position. And for those who are in our country and, and they're, they're trying to get a visa, they're trying to get a green card, and then they're trying to go down the path and become citizens, because it's an elevated position to be, be considered a citizen of the United States and have all the rights and privileges. And, and God says that that's what you have. But just like in our own country, there are a lot of citizens that, that don't take that to heart. And I remember going to school, if, if you really behaved well and you did what the teacher wanted and you followed the rules, you, you could get at the end of the year like a good citizenship reward. Remember that, those kind of things? God wants us to be a responsible citizen, not only of America, but he wants us to be a responsible citizen of the kingdom of God. With all the rights and privileges, but also responsibilities. We are to be fellow citizens. We, we are in this together. But, but he's, so, he's so amazed over all the overwhelming great things God has done when we become part of his family. He calls us not only fellow citizens, he goes on and he says in verse 19, the latter part of it, and members of the household of God. If it's true we are fellow citizens, we, it is also true we are family. So often we, we, we really misunderstand what, what God says about the church. The church is not just an institution. The church is not just a place where, where there are certain programs put together that, that excite you and, and instruct you, and, 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 excite, you know, and, and motivate you to do all kinds of things. It, 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 it's a family. And, and some of the hardest, uh, strongest things that Jesus said, he says, I want you to understand that the family of God needs to be seen as intimate as your own personal family. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12.
Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, we have the words of Jesus. While he, Jesus, was still uh, talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my brother and, and who are my brothers? And, and let me just remind you, when, when Jesus asks a question, it's not because he needs information. All right? He's trying to make a point with his question. Who, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he, Jesus, stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For where does the will of my father, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. See, the church is to be our family. You know, in some traditions, often more toward the southern part of our nation, when, when people come to a, a worship experience or to some kind of gathering, they'll call each other brothers and sisters. There's Brother Brandon over there, okay? And there's Sister Kim in the back. And, and, and each one is... is called by name with a brother or sister in front of it. Now, whether that becomes a tradition in a church verbally, it ought to be a tradition from the heart that we see each other as, as family. Now, all of us come from different experiences. Some of us have a very close family. Some of us have a fractured family. All of us have crazy aunts and uncles. Okay, anybody have that? Okay course they say that about us but anyway i mean there is no perfect family but if you understand family you are committed relationally through thick and thin to do whatever you can to be there for them and so as we think about being with god we are fellow citizens and if you were to put a watchword to that we we are to be responsible citizens and if we understand that we are family, what that means is that we are to be committed to love each other. Because that's really the, the family that gets graded well. Not, not based on, you know, income, jobs, education, fun, excursion. It's, it's based, do they, do they love one another? That's a family you want to be a part of. And, and sometimes it's tough love and sometimes it's tender love and Sometimes it's easy to love, and sometimes it's not very easy to love. But he says, you are, you are fellow members of God's household. We are fellow citizens, we are family. And, and then he, he says, we're also on a, a secure foundation. Look at verse 20 and 21. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. All these verses have so many phrases that just have so many word pictures. And, it, and sometimes if you want to say the word of God in, in a different way, when you read a verse, try to put a picture in your mind. What, is, what would that look like? Of course, this one, you know, look at a building, you know, whether it be a, a, a building with a, a steeple on it or just any building. And any building that's going to last has a, has a firm foundation. You know, we, we live close to those areas where when the storms come and you have beachfront property, you're concerned only about one thing. What is your foundation? 
Is it going to stand the winds and the rain and the shifting of the ground? Will, will it withstand all that? Because it doesn't matter how much you put on top of that foundation. If the foundation isn't secure, you'll lose it all. And so he wanted to say to them, who just like us at times, we, we get insecure about what's going on in life. He said, I want you to understand your foundation is Christ. You remember Jesus' uh, message about foundations in his Sermon on the Mount? He said, well, you can build your, your, your house on sand or on a what? Rock. You know, Jesus is the rock. He's the cornerstone. There's all kinds of things we could talk about a cornerstone. Cornerstone gives, you know, stability, direction. It, it, gives, it gives the place where the anchor of whatever you put that on. And so if being fellow citizens, if the idea there is be responsible, if being a family is all about being lovers in that family, having a foundation, a secure foundation, is, is when we are filled with worry and anxiety, we go back to the rock. The most important thing in life is secure. People will fail us. There will be things that happen beyond our control, but no one's going to move our rock. And then the last thing that, that Paul is just saying, man, this is so fantastic. This is overwhelmingly great. Verse 22. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God and the Spirit. Let me just focus on the word dwelling. Uh, the idea here is that, that we are indwelt, and I had to have four F's in a row. We are in, indwelt by the Father, all right? There are, there are times in working with children, I, I love uh, working with children, both the little ones and the adult ones, okay? But, you know, sometimes I'll ask the question, where does, where does God live? Now, where, where does God live? Now, there's a variety of answers you'll hear from that. Well, God lives in, you're still with me, God lives in heaven, all right? That, that's a pretty good answer. I mean, the Bible says that, that uh you know, God the Father, uh, we, we pray unto God the Father's in heaven, and now Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And basically when we see specific statements about where God is living, it really means that's where his manifest presence might be. Uh, he, God is everywhere, but we'll say heaven. Sometimes when we go to a place like this, uh, you know, a, a church, uh, a worship center, we'll say uh, as we go to this place, remember that's the house of God. And so we say, well, where does God live? He lives in the house of God. But really where God lives, he, he lives in that place which you could call a temple, but it's a temple not made with human hands. The, the Bible puts it two places. Got, he, he says that individually God lives in the temple, which is our bodies, created by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within the people who are in Christ, because if you're in Christ, Christ is where? In you. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, which is a, which is a, a corporate setting, that, that God lives in the manifest presence of God's people when they collectively get together. So, as we think about the fantastic news to us is that God dwells among us. When, when we leave this place, uh, God has gifted us with a great place to worship. But in a sense, God's manifest presence leaves when we leave this place. And then he leaks out in every crack and corner of the 
community that we go to. And we are the place where God dwells, where God lives. And so if it's true that as fellow citizens we ought to be responsible, if it's true as being the family, we ought to love one another, if it's true as having a secure foundation, we really have nothing serious to worry about. And if we understand that we are indwelt by the Father, that means that, that we can go anywhere. And God wants us to remember that he goes with us. There's only one word to describe all that God does for those who embrace him by faith. <laughs> it's just fantastic. It's just overwhelmingly great that God gives that to, to no one who deserves it, but to those who receive it by faith. Let's pray. Father, there might be someone here this morning that is on that part of the spiritual journey, which they don't want to be on the outside looking in. They want to be in Christ. And just even how that phrase sounds, it simply speaks about asking Christ in. And Father, they can pray a prayer or something like this, and if they meet it in their heart, uh, God will answer that prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I want you to come in. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I want to live for you. I want to be part of your family. I want to serve you, not myself. And when we pray a prayer like that, it's not about the magic words. It's about the expression of the heart. Then you will answer that prayer. And Father, for us who know you, might, might we be filled with the understanding is being fellow citizens, we are to be responsible. As family, we ought to love. As having a foundation, we help us not be filled with worry or anxiety. And as being indwelt by the Father, help us realize when we leave this place, you go with us. And we want to serve and show that life to others. And we praise in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen.